Hi, this is Jim from Safety Wars. Before we start the program, I want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about OSHA and EPA citations, along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share, since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. And from the border of liberty and prosperity and the highway to the north, this is Safety Wars for Thursday, April 6, 2023. It's uh, Holy Thursday or Monday Thursday. If you're a Christian, if you're Jewish, it's second day of Passover. Happy Passover and a very solemn Ramadan. We're in the middle of Ramadan. Uh, I have several co-workers, uh, clients that celebrate Ramadan. I don't think that's the correct word for that, though. But enjoy it. But uh, they seem to get a lot out of it. I, I'll say that much. So, what's going on out there? A lot of stuff going on. That's what's going on. So, uh, we were uh, a little bit indisposed with family activities this week. Hoping to be more regular here on uh, our live show. But anyway, uh, there are going to be some changes, slowly but surely, coming here, coming to you. So, uh, the big news continues to be uh, former President Donald Trump and his situation. So, uh, what do I have to say about this? It's real simple. The next court uh, proceeding or court date for him on this issue is going to be sometime in December, the beginning of December, 7th or 8th or something like that. And this is going to be going on and on and on and on. And it's a distraction. I Like I've always said, it's a distraction. There's a lot of stuff going on out there in the world that we really need to be paying attention to that we're being distracted from. One of them is safety. So I've been thinking in the last couple of weeks since I've been on Coast to Coast AM, what is the safety war? How do we define it? What is it? Everything else along those lines. Well, and why do we need a safety war? It's war for your safety, for the national safety, for your community's safety, for your workplace's safety. That is what it is. It's a war out there. And you're going to say, well, that's a little bit extreme. Okay. Every year we have roughly 5,000 fatalities in the workplace. Every year. That doesn't include, does not include fatalities in the home, from crime, or anything else. 5,300 a year. Right? That's like one and three quarters or one and two thirds. One and two thirds. 9-11s every year from workplace fatalities. And we know that those numbers are underreported uh, because uh, there's a lot of industry, a lot of situations, I'll say that work situations that are not covered by OSHA regulations. For example, if you're self-employed. That's why a lot of companies and in high uh, injury uh, areas like uh, roofing, they hire all what they call independent contractors. And then all of a sudden, no, the IRS has been cracking down on that. We call them, I call them 1099 people, ordinary income people, independent contractors. And, and they improperly classify them. And then they say, well, we don't have to, they're not our people. There was a recent case uh, uh, where a roofer uh, was cited by OSHA. And he said, well, they're not my employees. So you can't cite me cite me and OSHA had a devil of a dime uh, with that one and ended up 
going to the Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission and OSHA lost. Right? Uh, I think the IRS probably visited them next. So, now, there's 2.8 million workplace injuries a year, and we know that that's underreported. Right? Why? Because a lot of companies out the back door use their own health insurance or if they don't give people any help at all. That's happened already. Uh, I've seen that already in the industry. So we have a lot of stuff going on out there. So so let's take a look at the war on terror here. All right, so the number of troops that died in Afghanistan, right, and Iraq since 2001, 7,000, right, 7,000 U.S. soldiers. Well, what, how many workers died since 2001? 100,000 workers, over 100,000. No, we're using round numbers here. That's how we have a safety war, a war for your safety. We're fighting this, right? And there's many other casualties with that civilian. And Okay, I get it. But those are American casualties in these wars. I don't know. This month, April uh, 28th, is Worker Memorial Day. Maybe we'll do something for that, but it's... You know, something you need to concern. So that is the safety war. We're fighting for your safety. So this week, I taught a class that I, when I set out to be self-employed, I had never intended on uh, teaching. But I had attended enough of these courses over the years because, you know, that's what we do. And I did never liked the way that it was being taught. What course is that? That is the first eight CPR courses. And a lot of my clients, they have to have people. No, they obey OSHA regulations the best they can. They have to have a someone trained in first aid CPR and AED now, right, on, uh, on their jobs. Because they're in the middle of nowhere and medical care is hard to get to. So what happens? What happens is... We, they would go to somewhere where I'd you know, hire somebody to do first aid CPR training, and they have no, no it's good for the community, right? They're, 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 it's all community-based, and or they're uh, working for the local fire department, the fire academy, and they teach uh, CPR there, and okay, good, it's focused on that, but nothing really focused on the workplace. If you think you're going to take a 40-hour, uh, uh, a first aid CPR course and be for hey, and that's where it ends. Oh, well you took a first aid CPR course and therefore uh, we know how to uh, manage accidents. We know how to do this. We know how to do that. You're wrong, quite frankly. So what's the advantage of hiring someone with a safety background to teach these classes? We include what some of the OSHA requirements are notifications, for example. And there are other things, but the real simple, basic things. We go through using real examples in the workplace if we're able to, that type of work, what the hazards are, what are they likely to see. All that information is out there, so it's like tailor-made for what you're doing. That's the advantage of using us. And you could use us at 845-269-5772. Or Jim at safetywords.com. We can do first aid CPR and AED training for you. Been a long week. It's been a short week, but it's been a very long week. Uh, so uh, let's go right to our OSHA news releases uh, now. Hold on. The OSHA news releases after a brief break. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? 
Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. OSHA Recordables, catastrophic losses, environmental disasters. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Polzel with Safety Wars. That's my daddy. Uh, yes, I am your daddy, Jessica. Anyway, uh, let's move, we're going to move on over to the OSHA news releases. So uh, this is from out of Region 7 this week. U.S. Department of Labor urges caution to avoid fall, electrical, and other hazards during tornado cleanups in Boulder County, Missouri. Workers and others engaged in recovery and cleanup operations have, after at least one tornado struck the village of Glen Allen in Boulder County in the early hours of April 5, 2023, may face hazards related to falls, downed power lines, and sharp debris. Representatives with OSHA will conduct outreach in Boulder County to assess, assist recovery workers and homeowners in recognizing hazards common to storm cleanups uh, to prevent injury and illnesses. OSHA reminds workers and employees to pause and evaluate hazards, safety precautions, and the need for appropriate PPE to stay safe during response and recovery operations. Uh, workers should also be aware of hazards from heat stress and the dangers that equipment such as portable generators and chainsaws may present during cleanup efforts. Protective, member, me, uh, protective measures should also always include evaluating work areas for hazards, using engineering or work practice controls to minimize hazards, wearing proper clothing and using PPE, assuming all power lines are alive, using portable generators, saws, ladders, and other equipment properly, following safety precautions in traffic work zones, using fall protection when working on heights over six feet, and the proper use of vehicles and other equipment, such as front-end loaders. So OSHA has a response and recovery page here that outlines some of this stuff, goes into a little bit more detail. Now, one of our main focuses here is disaster preparation. We dedicate a whole month to it. That's September for Disaster Preparation Month. So there is something that you could do to actually, I don't know, other than go to OSHA and this and that. We also do here uh, disaster response worker training. There is a seven-and-a-half-hour course and a 15-hour course for that. Now you can say, well, why would we need that? What have you? So if you're an employer, all right, a couple of things happened uh, after 9-11 and actually with Katrina, some of the Gulf oil spills, things of that nature. Good, well-intentioned people, companies and everything else went out there and people got hurt. People got exposed. A disaster site cleanup, a disaster recovery is different than a construction environment. It's different than a general industry environment. It's different from a, a maritime in, environment. This is often what happens. Often, if it's a major disaster, like last year with Hurricane Ian, OSHA will go and suspend enforcement. That doesn't mean that you don't have to do... Uh, uh, you don't have to obey OSHA regulations. It doesn't mean that you don't uh, have to report out, no, of like OSHA recordables, fatalities, or anything like that. But they go into more of a consulting role, a compliance assistance role. And what happens? People, again, 
lacking PPE, lacking experience. Maybe they need a quick dime, so they're going to go and you know, they'll get hired by a recovery company temporarily. They'll get minimal, if any, training at all, and it's, it's a problem. So what do you end up having to do? We end up, what, what should you do, in my opinion, again, one man's opinion, preparation ahead of time. Assess what types of hazards that you're going to be encountering or likely to encounter, right? Assess, analyze, talk about it, think about it, how are we going to do this, prioritize, all of that goes into it. And then lastly is act, put the plan in place, right? And it's no very congruent with HOP, where you're creating capacity. When you're you know, human organizational performance, where you're creating capacity and resilience to get into, uh, to make things safety so safer, so you're more uh, prepared and everything else. You're adding capacity. So what's so different about, different about this working environment versus construction, general industry, or anything else? especially general industry. You're able to set up the work area and all these other environments. You're able to use the hierarchy of controls in all of these environments. In a disaster situation, you are not able to do that. You have to deal with the situation at hand as you find it. Sort of like an emergency responder, like a firefighter, uh, the, uh, you know, uh, emergency response group or anything like that. So you have to go and deal with that as is. So why, what, what's, what, automatically, what is there? Right, you're going to make sure that the area is safe for you to go in, just like we talked about yesterday during our first aid CPR AED course. Make sure the area is as safe as possible. There aren't anything else, and you have to learn to assess what the hazards are. And you're going to have a hev more heavily reliable, more heavily, uh, you're going to be more heavily reliant on personal protective equipment because you cannot control how that work area is set up. So PPE is critical. The other thing is this. You don't want to become part of the problem or make the problem worse. That is why it's important that you are prepared and you know what you're doing. One way of doing that, and you know, you know, doomsday preppers spend a long time reading and researching and asking questions. Maybe they become part of their community re emergency response team, their CERT team that's usually managed by the uh, county that you uh, reside in. At least that's how it is in the Northeast. And you go out and, well, they actually train you to do stuff and everything else. But this is where it gets very important. Very, uh, what's the word? I'm looking very important that you get prepared. So, what are some of the things that you're going to do? And as I always say, is this: uh, right. So, we're going to go over the American Red Cross, their website, and there's a link for on OSHA for that. Right. What to do. Before an earth, uh, before a tornado hits, All right? Let's talk about tornadoes. Find shelter locations from high winds in the places where you spend a lot of time, right? So often people have safe rooms or safe areas in their basement, right? That can withstand high, high winds, right? Find a safe room built to withstand high winds. The next best protection is a small room with no windows because of debris flying, breaking windows on the lowest level of a sturdy building and mobile manufactured. This is American Red Cross here, right? Mobile manufactured trailer homes and RVs are not safe in high wind events. Plan ahead by finding a sturdy building to shelter in before a tornado watch or warning. So again, find out what you're going to, what you're going to do. Where are you going to go with a tornado? Uh, Amazon, uh, in some areas of the country, ha actually has tornado drills. I've been in airports, so they have not tornado drills, tornado safe areas. If you go to a major sports stadium like City Field in uh, New York City, they actually uh, designed parts of that to be safe zones 
an event of a natural disaster, like a, a extreme weather event or something like that. Right, I've been at a Met game where we had a thunderstorm came blowing through, and it, I mean, you could, you know, it was raining sideways, upside down, you name it. Guess what? They had everything there, uh, ready, you know, ready to go. Create a personal support. So then you have practice tornado drills with the entire household. Where, hey, this is where we're going to go. This is what we're going to do. If we get separated, this is where you're going to go. This is where it's critical to as young as uh, early as you can with children to get them to memorize what their address is, what their name is, what the phone number is, what grandma's phone number is, right? What have you, right? You could also sign up for free emergency. Stay connected. How are you going to do this? And this was in the news today, too. This really annoyed my brother Wally calls me up, right? And as everyone knows, here, if you've been listening long enough, uh, we're, I'm an audiophile. Now, so when Jay Allen was interviewing me for uh, this, uh, for this thing we call Safety Wars, he said, tell me about yourself. I said, I'm, a, I'm an audiophile. I'm a radiophile. I love listening to the radio. I love the, hearing the spoken word, right? And... Uh, my Wally calls you and says, Jimmy, you're not going to believe this. Now, uh, I'm Googling this right now. Uh, so Ford Motor. Yeah, okay, here it is. This is from Fox Business, right? Don't mean to offend anybody. But Ford Motor Company is preparing to remove AM radios, and most of the new and updated 2024 models. The report says, despite concerns from U.S. officials over Americans losing access to safety alerts broadcast over the airwaves, Ford spokesman confirmed the development in a statement uh, to the Detroit Free Press. We are transitioning from AM radio for AM radio for most new and updated 2024. Uh, Models, a majority of USAM radio stations, as well as a number of countries and automakers globally are modernizing radio by offering internet streaming through mobile apps, FM, digital, and satellite radio options. Okay, great. Those are all great options. But AM radio, you're right. AM radio already went back from the, uh, from, uh, in the 80s. There was the death knell of AM radio. Then all of a sudden, AM radio News talk became very popular again and it resurged, right? Uh, I remember in the New York area when you had WABC radio, music radio, 88 and 66 AM, WNBC with uh, the morning host was Don Imus. They used to play music. Then all of a sudden they didn't play music and they went to sports talk and talk radio uh, after that. Right, AM radio has certain advantages. Right, and ubiquitous. Everybody had used to have an AM radio. My backup radio is an AM radio. My car, I have AM radio. You don't have to sign up for emergency alerts. You don't have to do anything like that if you have an AM radio. Is it a good idea to do emergency alerts? Yeah, great. Uh, no. We have a reverse 911 system in my town where the town will call us up. They know uh, we have a weather radio. We have backup. We have all this stuff. Now you're going to get rid of uh, AM radio? Really? You're going to rely on satellites? You're going to radio? That's not a, that may not work. You're going to rely on how many people have a portable satellite radio? Not too many people. Internet access, one of the first things to go down usually. Even though during Superstorm uh, super Sandy in Rockland County area, northern New Jersey area, the only way I was able to make a phone call was a voice over internet protocol from my Subaru. Right, I used to have a Subaru. So uh, with a 3G connection in there. So again, I don't think that this is a smart thing to do with this, but we'll let the market decide that. I'm not, I don't think they should pass a law with this tornado warning right and then learn up the different things or so the tornadoes we're talking about right and then 
learn emergency skills. And of course, the American Red Cross is going to tell you to go to them for first aid CPR training. I'm going to tell you to go to me, 845-269-5772. Gather emergency supplies. Organize supplies in a go kit and a stay-at-home kit. A go kit has to have at least three days of supplies that you can carry with you, including backup batteries and chargers for your devices. Uh, the stay-at-home kit, you should have two weeks of supplies. Because stores and pharmacies might be closed. This is the American Red Cross, right? Recommending this. And no, we went into that. You could check back with our September 2022 and September 2021 programs on that. So what do you do during uh, right a tornado? Closely monitor weather uh, conditions. Seek shelter. Avoid injury. Right? Do not enter damaged buildings. All that stuff you could go out there and look at. Now, uh, keep uh, keep the uh, lines open for, you know, uh, uh, different things. So what goes into a basic disaster supply kit? This is according to OSHA, right? And they're telling us to go to ready.gov and to a kit. So ready.gov, ready.gov backslash kit, K-I-T. So basic emergency supply should be the following. Water. One gallon per person per day for several days for drinking sanitation. Now, the question is, should we get one big gallon of water or smaller containers? Go with the smaller containers. Uh, always. Uh, why? Because uh, if the water gets contaminated, you're only contaminating a little bit, not everything. Food for a several-day supply, a battery-powered or a hand-crank uh, radio with uh, right with a uh, uh, weather radio and batteries for that. Now, something that really annoys me is that in the late Y2K era, era late 90s, there was a spring-powered radio. And you would turn a crank on there. Mine broke after 20 years. I was very upset. You cranked the radio, and it would run right off of the spring. And it would run for about 40 to 45 minutes, depending on how high up you had the volume. Then the company went out of business. And any of these other crank radios are just imitations of that one. They don't work. You're charging a battery or something. Why someone doesn't go and start remanufacturing those again, I don't know. That was a cool thing. Flashlight, no, updated with Bluetooth technology and everything else, right? Uh Again, what kind of flashlight? I go for the headlamps above a handheld. First aid kit? With what? What's in the first aid kit? You know, what assess your needs, what you're going to need in a first aid kit. Extra batteries, a whiz, whistle to signal for help. A, they're saying dust mask. I'm going to tell you get an N95 respirator, minimum. Uh, now, if you're able to wear one, that is, if you pass uh now, if you don't have a major health problem, and the workplace, we make people go for physicals for that. Plastic sheeting and duct tape to shelter in place. No, something for sanitation, like moist towelettes, garbage bags, and plastic ties. Basic tools, right? wrenches, pliers, scissors, screwdrivers, that sort of thing. Manual can openers, not uh, for food. Local maps, and a cell phone with chargers and a backup battery. So, uh, and since uh, spring of 2020, CDC has recommended people include some other stuff uh, in there because of COVID and other uh, biohazards, pathogens. So uh, you can go check that out on ready.gov backslash kits. So all that goes in there now. Uh, Let's go back here, right? U.S. Department of Labor investigation of 29-year-old sanitation workers' leg amputation finds Ohio food processor again ignored safety issues. This is out, uh, they're getting $1.9 million in penalties uh, for failing to train workers, and the plant cited for two weeks prior to this incident. Uh, the, the, while working on the overnight sanitation shift at an Ohio food processing plant, a 29-year-old temporary worker, right, on the job nine months. Temp workers are a problem. Uh, 
because usually they get no training or they're being uh, a company. They go to a temp agency and they get rented out as a temporary employee, right? Quote unquote employee. Usually don't get paid as much. Usually don't have training as this guy was. And then the person hiring them, hiring the temp agency becomes the employer, the, the de facto employer and gets rack, uh, wrapped up in the whole thing rather than anything else. So what happens, what, let me ex- go back and explain that. So you have, you're a company, right? I'm not saying this company did this, but let's say you're a company. You hire, you say, I need some a temporary workforce. So I'm going to hire this other company to do the work, right? The manual labor, what have you. Temp agency. You Now, the thinking by the many employers is they're not my employee. I am not responsible for OSHA for them, right? But the way OSHA looks at this is, and the legalities, is that this has now become a multi-employer work site, and now everybody is responsible for different things and what have you. Uh, you get hurt, right? OSHA may cite everybody here, and that does happen. So here we have this employer. This might have happened here with the temporary workers. So... They did not train sanitation workers to lock out the equipment, and I haven't looked at the citation. Everything here is a fresh look. Did not, uh, did not train sanitation workers to lock out the equipment prior to cleaning, exposing them to moving machine parts. OSHA cited the plant for similar violations less than two weeks before the injury. OSHA proposes a $1.9 million penalty after citing 11 willful, four serious, one repeat, and one other than serious violation. And the company is in uh, is in the severe violator enforcement program since 2017. So what happened was the uh, person was it looks like a lockout tag at one. Uh, they were caught in rotating rotating paddle loggers while cleaning them. So a uh, man suffered a uh, preventable debilitating right. Injury because his employers failed to train him and the majority of its third shift sanitation workers. That's another one. Third shift. They can get all different kinds of stuff done on third shift because we don't hire safety professionals for third shift. Right? Or they hire a safety professional. What's that person doing? They're sleeping in their office. Right? And the third shift people, they don't have really any authority and they can't talk to the management because they're third shift. By the way, in the United States, third shift is usually from eight to four, eight at night till four in the morning, or something like that. So uh, the, the right third shift workers adequately to they weren't trained to lock out equipment to ensure their own safety, and they've done this before. So let's look at this citation. You're already on their Guvno list. Why are you doing this? That's my question. Why why the bleep are you doing this? So we're going to go on down. Here we have the thing, right? And again, everyone's innocent until proven guilty, like our disclaimer says. Citation 1, item 1. General duty clause violation, right? Because they have to supply their people with... uh, with uh, a safe and healthful workplace. And this is specifically with the equipment involved, right? Where OSHA does not have any of any standard for a, let's say a vacuum blender, but under the general duty clause, yeah, you still have to must uh, make sure that you have a workplace free of recognized hazards that are Likely to cause death or serious physical harm. I think amputating your leg is a serious physical harm thing. $15,625. Citation one, item two. uh, Serious. The employer did not ensure that each employee was protected from tripping into or stepping into or through any hole that is less than four feet. Again, this is fall protection hazard. Right? General industry, four feet. Construction 6, General Industry 4. Uh, 
And there, these were four drain covers that were lifted off for the removal of scrap meat and were not replaced in a timely manner. 14,733. So lifting covers off and leaving them. Uh, citation one, item three, type of violation serious, right? And this was a PPE hazard. Uh, nope, not improper PPE. Uh, requirements were not requ were not communicated to sanitation workers, right? Uh, to prevent serious eye hazard, right? So eyeglasses, $15,625. Citation one, item four, serious. Here we have a 1910-303 violation where services, feeders, and branch circuits. Each service, feeder, and branch circuit at its disconnecting means or overcurrent device shall be legibly marked to indicate its purpose, unless located and arranged so that the purpose is evident. So these were circuit breakers, right, that were not legible or were labeled incorrectly. Right. Fine. Fifteen thousand six twenty-five. Come on, get me into the good one. Willful. This is. I. There's so many of them. Willful. We'll go through them. What the citation to this is item number one a lockout tagout. No. Uh, no procedures. Item one uh, b. All right, uh, no procedures for the application of energy control devices. We have, wow, rather extensive one here. They didn't, uh, they, there was a $0 fine on that one. Type of violation, willful, serious. Uh, no inspection of the energy control procedure. $156,259. That's a big one. Here you have another one. No training from lockout tagout. Another $156,000. Another one. Training issue. Under lockout tagout. $156,259. Number, uh, next one. Willful. Again, going down. They, they're getting whacked. All these lockout tagout things, and they're all $156,000. So... Lockout tagout is important. Now, I find, uh, I shouldn't be saying this on the air. I find that the lockout tagout issues are the hardest ones to train on and the hardest ones to manage. Why? Who's the expert on how to operate that equipment? Come on. Anyone want to venture a guess here? The worker. That's who it is. People experience with the equipment. And when they see an outsider come in, like me, a consultant, they pipe up. They don't, they're not going to give you the right information. So this is one of the challenges. You had to develop a technique on how to overcome this challenge. A couple of ways you can do it is involve them from minute one on the equipment. And the way I explain it is that I'm like a curator here. You're going to tell me if you, you know how to operate the equipment, what it does, how it does, how it operates, and how to how it needs to be locked out, tagged out, and we're going to do a demonstration here on this. You this way you're giving them like the control a little bit, but you're not really. It's like directed type of uh, a directed type of discussion or conversation, and you're now giving them respect that they deserve, right? here for the equipment and for operating it and being a confident person with that. I mean, confident meaning they know what they're doing, not a confident, like a OSHA confident person. Involve them. That's all I'm having to say. If you don't do that, you can't do the job. My experience. Do the do, uh, so this is one nineteen ten one thirty two. The employer shall verify that the required workplace hazard assessment has been performed through a written certification that identifies the workplace evaluated, the person certifying that the evaluation has been performed, and everything else that goes with it. So 
an actual certification of what of what it is. It's like a job hazard analysis. It is a job hazard analysis. All right. Uh, this was with formic acid with the cleaner. So and when in, uh, it all came down to $1,929,000 and some change. A lot of money there for that. U.S. Department of Labor news LL Bean star level designation for workplace uh, safety and health achievements. This is in, from the Brunswick, Maine manufacturing facility. LL Bean. They got uh, congratulations to them. We're going to take a brief break here, a brief timeout. Is your safety training old, stale, and hackneyed? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Polzel at 845-269-5772. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. that's the full song on there so i have to have to look that one up so uh some other news here we had in uh the northeast here in the united states two uh trench collapses in the last two uh, three days here so on monday and i have some inside information i don't want to say inside information but i have uh some stuff that was communicated to me seemed like an open secret, but it didn't even make it into the uh, news here, right? And I think, no, I ran into someone who happened to be on the site there when this happened. But uh, this is happened out at JFK Airport out in, Queen, in Jamaica, Queens, New York City. Two construction workers were killed in a trench collapse at JFK Airport on Monday morning. Emergency workers... Attempted to rescue the workers from the rubble, but they were both pronounced dead after being pulled from the trench. And now they had uh, some 12 units, 60 uh, uh, firefighters on scene. And at the time of the incident, workers were relocating utility lines in the vicinity of a cogeneration plant uh, with their uh, to support the increased energy needs of the JFK redevelopment project. From what I heard from people who were there, who alleged to be there, that this was a crushing injury, not so not by the trench collapse. It says trench collapse here. 
not so much by that, but they were working under suspended under equipment. And the, when the trench collapsed, the equipment landed on top of them. That's what I heard out there. That's what the word is on the street. I haven't been able to verify that. So, uh, again, when you're working, uh, we'll talk about that after the second one. We'll comment on that. Here we have over in Newton, Massachusetts, a DPW. This one had a somewhat happier ending. A, a Department of Public Workers Works worker rescued after a trench collapse. A worker was rescued following a trench collapse uh, in Newton on Thursday. The Newton, the Newton fire chief said a trench wall collapsed, trapped the DPW's workers' legs in the dirt. Emergency crews were called to the scene, and crews were able to free the man, and paramedics took him to the hospital with minor injuries. Neighbors say they've been dealing with sore leaks for weeks, and the workers were there to try to fix it. Right, so the Occupational Safety and Health Administration has been contacted. Well, that's nice, but they have no jurisdiction here because a DPW worker is a public employee. Not covered. I think Massachusetts has its own plan, but federal OSHA, probably not going to get involved here. So, trenches. What's required? When you're dealing with a trench, you and now all construct first of all foremost first and foremost it's considered construction. So if you're in a, a trench, right, which is generally speaking a uh, uh, removing dirt, right, and a uh, from ground level where the uh, making a hole where the sides are narrower than the depth. That's usually what a excavation is. But like with all construction work, what do you need? You need a confident person. What's an OSHA confident person? Someone who's able to assess the hazards and correct them. All right? And that person has to go and do an assessment every day. How are we going to do this? If you're going to be... Uh, greater than 20 foot deep, you need a registered professional engineer from the state where the excavation is to design a protective system. And this is classic hierarchy of controls. You got no, you eliminate, you engineer, eliminate, substitute, engineer, administrate, and then PPE. So you try to uh, eliminate the hazards before you get to PPE. The only problem is, is that I don't think there is any PPE for a trench collapse. I know of, or I'm, maybe I'm thinking wrong here. Wouldn't be the first time I asked my wife. But uh, so that person has to go out there and find out what the hell is going on. And how do you, what do you do? With a trench excavation, you could either uh, slope the sides, you could bench the sides, or put in a protective system, like shoring. And it could be timber shoring, it could be hydraulic shoring, it could be any number of things. With them, those are primarily the two ones. And then the workers work inside where the shoring is, and maybe a trench box, something like that, Right? And then that has to be monitored. Well, I don't mean necessarily air monitoring, even though on some sites that may be necessary, depending on what you're doing. But you basically go out there and you uh, look at the situation and make sure you have your paperwork and your checklists up to date on an excavation. Because right now, I'd hate to be, like, first of all, I hate to be the people that got killed in New York. I hate to be a member of their family dealing with that. But tertiary... Wise, I'd hate to be the competent person for that job. And if they did not have a designated competent person, which I have a hard time believing that they didn't, mean that it was a uh, Port Authority in New York, New Jersey uh, 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 project. The Port Authority in New York and New Jersey runs JFK Airport, right? So that. No, they, I hate to be that person because in New York, this could mean jail time for that person. So if I was that person, I'd say, uh, you know, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say or do can and will be used against you in a court of law, and you have a right to an attorney. Uh, and I would say, remember that. 
when you're talking to these folks. With that, you have civil rights, but they, on the other hand, they have a job to do, which is, uh, you know, uh, investigate and prevent these accidents from happening again. So that's uh, what uh, I'm going to talk about on that, uh, with that. Now, a story. Jimmy, there's always a story. You always have a story when it comes to any of this stuff. And the answer is yes, I have a story when it comes to any of this stuff, with this stuff. So I was hired, and this is way back in the day, right, nineteen mid-1990s, by a company that you guys have all heard of if you're from the New York, New Jersey area. And uh, they, I, had, I was hired to be the competent person on the job. What do you think happened? They are digging a trench, and it was on a hazardous waste site, and they didn't want uh, me to do an assessment, but I did an assessment. Uh, air monitoring was required by contract because they're in a hazardous waste that had a volatile organic compound on it. We were using the old big HNU, HNU, I don't even think they're in existence anymore, a photo ionization detector. And it came in two parts where you had the wand with the, uh, with the, uh, 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 probe in it and the UV lamp and you had, a heavy-duty wire going into a box that gave you a readout based on resistance and ionization potential and all that stuff, right? We all know how that equipment operates. What ended up happening was that equipment was broken, deliberately broken by the contractor, uh, by the contractor, by the site superintendent. So that way... There was no way that anybody could discern what was high, what was low, or anything else. So I said, look, you uh, you know, again, no cell phones in those days. They were not, cell phones weren't popular. They called them car phones right then and there. No, there were no cell phones, really. You know, they had them, but not really. And what do you think happened uh, here? Well, I don't call up my boss. I find a pay phone. I call my boss. My boss says, well... They're not letting you shut down the job? No, they're not letting you assess anything? No, well, then guess what? You're not a competent person then. Real simple. Oh, okay, great. So what do you want me to do? Just hang out there and we'll send them a bill. But you're obviously not the competent person if you cannot assess anything because they broke the equipment. Wow. Don't you like how that works? Okay, and next story with that. Probiotics kill subway pathogens better than bleach, according to a study. A new study indicates that how we sanitize our germs can determine how at risk we are from a catching a cold from a virus or bacteria. That well, This is the conclusion after a uh, 12-week study that began in September 2021 comparing two cleaning methods in Italian trains according to results published in Microbiome. This seems to validate pre-pandemic concerns that oversanitation can be driving microbial adaptation. Ooh, that's interesting. Which is an issue of concern because it can lead to more virulent pathogens while lowering human resistance. The use of harsh chemicals is also toxic to humans, so you can have an IH issue on top of an IH issue. So, in the study of probiotic cleaning uh Using mild eco-friendly detergent contains spores of selected probiotics from from the Bacillus genus, right? Bacillus. The, uh, so, uh, what else is a famous Bacillus? Bacillus anthraxis, which is the uh, bacteria that causes uh, anthrax, right? The anthrax and they also uh, have. Uh, Another bacillus, bacillus globuli, which is very similar. Again, I just read this, this first read-through. Bacillus globuli, which is used as a surrogate for how you uh, decontaminate and how you deal with an anthrax contamination or studying anthrax, right? They use bacillus globuli for that which has been shown to colonize untreated surfaces. The bacteria work by overcoming pathogens through competitive exclusion, a principle that not only that, that only one species among those fighting the same for the same resources. 
uh, to survive. So they outcompete the other bacteria. This is a very novel uh, concept for me, at least. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bookmark this because this is a phenomenal thing and we're going to follow up on this. So we've had uh, lately, uh, you know, all this stuff on global warming on my program. So not that I'm into conspiracies here, but here we have a banking CEO pushes for governments to seize private property to fight climate change. So through, uh, this is from a report. I'm not sure uh, how reliable it is necessarily, but I'll put it out there. J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon suggested that governments should seize private property to advance green energy projects as, as wind and solar panels. Dimon pushed... Uh, now, this is from Insider Paper, right? Diamond pushed for eminent domain to get more clean energy initiatives off the ground. I don't know how I th feel about that. With that. So, uh, again, when they come out and they say this stuff, is it really a conspiracy theory at that point? I mean, I could have whole programs here of shit people say on these jobs. Uh, on these whatever, right? And uh, I'm going to go and do this. Let's Google this. And then that'll be, we'll end with that. Jamie Diamond, uh, eminent domain, right? Let's see. Hold, hold on. Okay, here we go. I'm seeing multiple sources. This is apparently what, what this was, JP, this is from Fox News, J.P. Morgan, CEO, suggests government seize private property. And they have a recording of this, right? This is from the Dales Report, Recharge News, Fortune Magazine. Also, Jamie, this is from Fortune Magazine, says the same thing, so he actually did it. How do you feel about that? So... Now we have, no, according to some of the guests we had here, this global warming thing may not be what it appears to be from carbon emissions. So all these alternative fuels may not be such a good idea because we're going to have the na capacity, natural resources, and other things associated with it. Now we're going to start seizing private property to go and do it. Is that a, no? Do you think people are going to get a little bit PO'd over that, especially in the United States? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. No, uh, I mean, there are some theories with the uh, pandemic that they, uh, no, they came up with this stuff to see how much shit we would take. I don't know. I hate to leave on a summer note, but uh, if I'm not here tomorrow, I'm going to wish everybody here a happy Easter, and we will be seeing you next week. Next week, I plan on doing this on Twitch. So uh, some of this may be pre-recorded, but you'll get a video of it, right? Trade-offs on that. So uh, have a happy Easter if I don't see you, and uh, I hope be safe. We'll see you back here on Monday, no matter what. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.